You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We've been talking about this subject for some time, plugging into grace, and we're talking about grace and faith and the way that they function together. And, uh, sorry, Harper forgot her shoes. Uh, We've been talking about the way that they function together. Everything we ever receive and have received from God comes by grace. It's It's a free gift to us. But faith is required to plug in to that grace. We started in Romans 5 too, which essentially says that we stand in this place of grace and, and we plug into it through faith. I'm paraphrasing, but we've spent a lot of time talking about those two areas. We've been on this for some time. And last week, we kind of moved over. We've been looking at Abraham for a couple of weeks over in Romans chapter 4 and what it says about his life of faith and the way that he stood and received the promise of God. All right, and so one of the, um, one of the things it says over there, we got to Romans 4.18, where it says, For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations, as it had been promised, so numberless shall your descendants be. All right, so we've talked about the fact that hope and faith. We started talking essentially about hope last week, and we're going to continue with that this week. Talked about the the fact that in this whole process of drawing nearer to God, receiving what he has for us, being the people that he wants us to be, all of that, hope and faith work together hand in hand. They're both really important to our lives. Hope essentially gives faith a target, and faith fills that hope brings is is essential to bringing what is hoped for to pass, okay? And so we need these elements working in our heart. This last week, we started talking last week. We spent time talking about hope. We're going to talk about it again today. I felt really strongly about what we brought up last week, what we're going to talk about today. We went over to a pastor's conference, a minister's conference uh, on Monday, and it's it started Monday night. And uh, it was at Andrew, Andrew Walmack's place. And, and Andrew stood up that first night, went into the exact scriptures we were talking about here Sunday morning. It seems like, and, I, and I've seen this other places, it seems like, and the, and the Lord does this, he brings waves of instruction and teaching through the body of Christ. And it seems like right now he's reemphasizing this whole principle and point of hope. And it makes sense even in the natural. I mean, we do, he does this from time to time anyway. But uh, it makes sense. We, have, we are living in a time of a lot of disillusionment, a lot of discouragement just in, in the world that we live in. There's, there's a lot of upheaval even in the body of Christ. I mean, we've, we've seen uh, a lot of people allowing themselves to become discouraged, disappointed, discontent. And, and be moving around from thing to thing and place to place and just looking for some kind of relief from what they're feeling. And, and in many times, uh, some of that is, it's, it's not appropriate. They need to be standing where they are and remembering the things the Lord has already said and bringing those things back to their heart. Some of them, some of, them, some of the people we know, are leaving foundations that God has built. And, and the scripture tells us, we're not going to go there this morning, but 
in 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, it talks about the days in which we live. And one of the things it says is people will develop itching ears and just kind of run from one thing to another, trying to find something that agrees with them rather than seeing it as I need to be transformed and agree with the word. So there's a lot of that going on. We know situations where churches are are splitting right now because um, pastors and leaders have become so nervous about people coming and going or mostly going uh, that they're compromising their foundations. And uh, so, you know, it's bringing division into the church. There's just a lot of that. We see the division in the world. I mean, there's so much of that. There's a lot that happened through the last couple of years that it brought up in people's hearts and minds. So it's a, it's a, I think it's no surprise that the Lord is bringing us back to hope. Because the scripture says that without hope, without a vision, people perish. They go every, that word perish means they go every direction. It's like pouring out water on a flat surface. It just goes every direction. That's what that word perish means. Hope gives us a foundation, gives us a direction. It gives us, hope is to be based in the vision that God builds in our hearts as we spend time with him. <clears throat> and so we're going to talk through some of those things uh, again today. So last week, we spent time here in uh, what's up on your screen, First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible again this morning. It says, Praised, honored, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, by his boundless mercy. I just wanted to take just a second. We need to think about that. God's mercy is boundless. It doesn't have any borders. It's extreme. It really is extreme. His mercy toward us is extreme. The Bible says it's new every single day. Every day when we get up, God's mercy toward us is new. So it says, by his boundless mercy, we have been born again into an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, born anew into an inheritance which is beyond the reach of change and decay. It's imperishable, it's unsullied, it's un- and unfading. It's reserved for us in heaven. So the scripture here tells us we have, we have been born again. If this morning, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've accepted his work in, at the cross on your behalf and said, I recognize you as Savior, I recognize that you are the son of God and I give my life to you, come into my life. If you've prayed that kind of prayer from your heart, you're born again this morning and the spirit of God has come to live in you. And it says that when we are born again, I said this last week, when you are born, when you come out of your mother's womb, you are born into an environment. You come into a new world that is very unlike your mother's womb. All right, it's very unlike this world out here way different than being in mama's tummy, okay? But we are born. Well, when we are born again, also we come into a different environment and it has all kinds of different characteristics. One of them is ever-living hope. Ever-living hope. And we looked at that term ever-living. It speaks of something that is eternal, okay? It's eternal. It doesn't change, doesn't fade, doesn't wear out. It's never inappropriate, it's never without meaning. It's, it's never irrelevant, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You know, we, our society likes to consider anything that's more than two minutes old irrelevant. Stuff of God is not ever irrelevant. It's ever living. It is eternal. Uh, that term also speaks of the fact that this hope, 
has a life of its own. All right, this word is, is used of God himself. He exists separate from the life that he has created and poured out. His life is within himself. He's not dependent on anyone or anything else for life. This hope that he has made available to us is like that. It's eternal. It has a life of its own. It, has, it speaks of a duration of life. This hope exceeds our lifespan. It's not something you're going to go along and you're going to be walking in the hope that God gives and then one day it's going to, oh, where'd it go? You know, it fell off. Sometimes we aren't perceiving it, but hope never ends, okay? It is, it is eternal. And so it's something that when we recognize that, if we're not sensing hope, if we're not engaged in hope, we can look at that and we can say, okay, I'm not feeling it right now, but it's not gone. God hasn't changed. This environment is there for me. I can have hope for every area of life. So again, hope is this, this expectation, this anticipation. This is what the word means of good coming from God. And we've made the distinction there's natural hope and there's spiritual hope. Natural hope, obviously, all of us know, is not eternal. Any, any hope that is based in circumstance, in uh, emotions, in that kind of thing, though, that's fleeting, all right? But hope, as the scripture says, that comes out of something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what happens on this earth, the resurrection doesn't change, Right? doesn't matter what happens on this earth, the meaning and the power of the resurrection isn't changed by changing circumstances. So biblical hope, spiritual hope, is engaged in who God is and what he has done, is engaged in who Christ is, what he has done at the cross. Those things are unchanging. All right, that's, and that's why biblical hope is so strong. And then we're going to look at this. Biblical hope is anchored in Christ. All right, the resurrection is God's stamp of authenticity and approval on the work of Jesus at the cross. There were lots of people crucified. Loads of people were crucified. Only one was raised from the dead and didn't die again. Okay, he was resurrected. He is still alive. Right? There's only one. And, and so that was God's stamp of approval. That and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit are God's stamp of approval on the gospel, on the work of Christ at the cross. So that hope gives us the power to keep living in and toward the Lord's plan for our life, to, to no matter what happens around us, no matter what, what we can find that is uh, changeable, that is not strong, that is discouraging, okay? This hope won't move. You may have all kinds of things going on in your head, in your heart, your emotions, but, but down inside there's, there's a, an anticipation of good from God that is immovable, and that's biblical hope. So go with me over to Hebrews 6. We're going to look at a couple of verses over here before we come back to Romans today. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to start reading. I didn't have room for much of this on the screen, so we just have verse 18 up there. But um, I'm going to begin reading, I think, in about verse 13. 
boy. Or verse 1. No, we won't, we won't do that. Oh, that's Hebrews 4. That's why it doesn't look right. That was good too. Okay, so let's begin. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 so you can follow along. If you'd like, I'll, I'll read this from the... Uh, actually, I'm going to read it from the NIV. And I'll go over to the Amplified. That's what's up there. That's what's up there. Yeah, it is a good one. If you don't mind words. All right, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since he had no one greater to swear by, saying, Blessing, I will certainly bless you, and multiplying, I will certainly multiply you. So when God made the promise to Abraham, we're reading over in chapter 4 about Abraham standing through 25 years of discouragement to see that promise come to pass. When God made that promise, he did something really unusual. He swore by himself. Usually he just speaks his word. And, you know, we're told, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, don't feel like you need to do more than that. But do follow up on your word, okay? But God, his word is powerful. He generally just speaks his word. His word is truth. But in this case, he swore by himself. He, he added an extra component to what he was doing there. And because he had no one greater to swear by. And, and so... He, he didn't stop at just speaking his promise. He spoke this to Abraham with an oath to make the, the, the power of what he was doing, the point of what he was doing so unchangeable, okay? So strong that Abraham would be able to grasp it and walk in it, okay? Let's jump down. I want to look at verse 18. Jump down to verse 18. It says, This was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or deceive us, we who have fled to him for refuge might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast the hope that is appointed for us and set before us. There's an awful lot in this verse. So, it says there that when we, it is impossible for God to lie. And so when we take hold of his promise, there is a, a power released into us that enables us, it says, to take hold of the hope that he offers. Do you see that? It, if those of us who have fled to him for refuge might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast the hope, notice, appointed for us and set before us. Okay, so there's something that takes place when we take hold of the promise of God. There's something released in us, and it's interesting to me, hope doesn't just come upon us, it is appointed for us. That, that word means God has ordained for us to live in hope. Okay, again, it's always available. No matter how discouraged you might feel this morning, there is hope available. God can rekindle it. It is appointed for us. We're to be a people that live in hope. All right, faith, hope, and love, right? Are the, are the 
Paul said we're the greatest of these. Uh, we are, it is appointed, it is ordained for us. And then it says, it is set before us. And so I see two things in that. One is the big picture, God has appointed, has ordained hope for us. But also, he goes the extra step to set that hope right in front of us. This, this to me reminds me of, you know, he has set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God has set something in front of me. And this scripture says that when we take refuge in him, we receive the ability to grasp and hold that hope. So there's an element there that becomes our responsibility. God ordained hope for us. God sets hope before us and he empowers us but we still have to grasp hope. How do we do that? We spend time with him. We recount. We, we become thankful. We recount everything that he has done for us, what he has done for others, the miracles we see in the scripture, the blessing we see in the scripture, the blessing we see around us, even the smallest thing. We begin to recount that. We spend time looking at who God is, and it gives us the strength to take hold of something a hope. Remember, we talked about last week that when in uh, Romans four seventeen, talks about the fact that God called Abraham the father of many nations when there was absolutely no evidence, when all the natural evidence was contrary to him ever being. That was the promise. You're going to be the father of many nations, this, and and he meant it. He meant you and Sarah. He made that clear. As time went on, you and Sarah, where it is absolutely impossible, you will produce children. You will produce a son. And in that lineage down to Jesus Christ, I will bless the whole world. It was a huge promise. And, and Abraham stood there. It was absolutely impossible. In fact, as that story goes on, as you read it in the Old Testament, each of Abraham and you know Isaac's name, the child, his name, Isaac, means laughter. And it was like they had to come this whole full way to where they could just laugh and say, okay, God, you know, if you're going to do this, wow. And, and they just laughed. I mean, they weren't laughing at God, at his inability. They were just, you know, I think we can feel that. There's just that release sometimes. It's just like, God, this is so impossible that only you could do it. I've just got to laugh and watch you do it. And they both had to come to that place and then they named, they named the, the child of promise, Isaac, laughter. So, there, so they, they stood through all that, but there's this place, it's the, the word used here to say to take hold of, to take, to grasp and hold fast the, the hope that is appointed for us. It implies a certain degree of force that is used when a person takes hold of something and brings it to themselves or puts it under their control. It's what this means. So there's this place where we need to say yes to God and yes to the hope that he is offering, even when it looks impossible, especially when it looks impossible. We have to grasp that hope. So that tells me we can have hope appointed for us and set before us and never grasp it. Never take hold of it. And that's, and that's a shame. And I know this isn't easy all the time. But, but the, I don't want to say the trick, but the, the key is to get our eyes off of the natural impossibilities and set them on God.
You know, scripture says he's, he's the one that gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. So there is hope before us. There is hope ordained for us. But we need to, in the Lord, take hold of it and pull it to ourselves. And sort of, God will even maintain it. I was going to say we need to maintain it. We just need to maintain the connection with the Lord. We need to keep saying yes. We need to maintain the connection. So in verse 19 of Hebrews 6, it says, Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. It cannot slip, cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it, a hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. And verse 20 says, where Jesus has entered in for us in advance, a forerunner having become a high priest forever after the order with the rank of Melchizedek. So this verse is telling us that biblical hope is an anchor for the soul. All right, your spirit, if you're born again this morning, your spirit is not struggling. The Holy Spirit is engaged with your spirit. Your spirit man is born again, is recreated. It's not struggling with circumstances. All right, there's a part of you that has been made new in Christ that's not struggling with with circumstances. But the soul, the mind, the emotions, and the will are still in this process of renovation that we talk about frequently by the word and by the spirit. We're being changed on the inside. So our soul can really struggle with circumstances. Our soul is where we become discouraged. Our soul is where we give up if we give up. Our soul is that part of us that that can be engaged with, again, with circumstance, with something changeable around us. But this scripture says that biblical hope becomes an anchor for your soul. And that anchor goes behind the curtain. This is all talk about the temple. It goes into that place of the Holy of Holies. That anchor chain connects to Christ, okay? Biblical hope is rooted. We just read it. It is rooted in Christ and who he is and his resurrection and all those unchangeable things, all right? But your soul is under constant pressure from outside forces. It's under, it, it's, it's what hears, it's what sees circumstances that aren't lining up with the promise of God. It is what hears the voices, okay, of society, of your friends, of whoever. It is that part of you that can be moved by what you see, what you hear, the natural things that are all, all changeable, all right? Your soul is under that kind of, of pressure to, to give up, to move, to try something else, to, to waver, all right? And I, I just want to say this about this whole idea. We think about a, a ship at anchor, okay? And we usually think, well, it's, it's, it's not going to move. The anchor's there to keep it in place. And that's absolutely true. In other words, biblical hope keeps us in place, keeps us from just running to, from one thing to another to another, you know, going from whatever it might be, job to job and church to church and country to country and, and you know, whatever it might be, teacher to teacher, you know. I mean, again, we, we have that tendency when we're uncomfortable to the, the answer is to move, all right? This anchor of biblical hope does keep us in place. But the other thing that I was really thinking about as I was reading this verse is that when you set uh, a, a ship or a boat at anchor, 
Uh, one of the things when I had a sailboat, if you're going to anchor with a group of other boats, you've got to leave room around you. You don't just anchor beside each other because when the wind picks up from whatever direction, that boat will swing on its anchor. It stays anchored, but it will swing and face the oncoming wind. And so you've got to have room between the boats so they don't whack into each other as they're doing that. So a boat will swing at anchor, but it swings to face what is coming. Hope does that for us. It works in us, biblical hope, to cause us not just to not move, but to face whatever is attacking, whatever is challenging, whatever voice, whatever message, whatever circumstance is coming against what God has said and trying to get you to waver off of that, biblical hope will cause you, it's just something that happens on the inside. It'll rise up and it'll say no to whatever that is. It will say no to that voice. It will say no to that discouragement. It will say no, God's promise it's where I stand. I am anchored in Christ and Christ is not changing and his word is not changing. His word is eternal. When all this stuff that we are facing, that we are dealing with, when it's all gone, his word will never change. His word will remain. And so biblical hope does that. It rises up and it causes you to face, not to run away from, not to turn your back on and deny and pretend that whatever's coming, whatever's challenging you doesn't exist. Abraham didn't look do that. We're going to look at it in just a second. Abraham didn't do that. He looked, he, he recognized, he acknowledged the circumstances that in the natural made the promise impossible, but he faced them. And, and we're going to look at that right now. But do you get what I'm saying? The hope, you can tell this biblical hope when it just rises up and it turns into whatever that wind might be, what all your friends are saying, what the news is saying, what, whatever, whatever it is. And it rises up and it faces that thing down and it says, no, faith, faith just comes into that and it says, no, the promise of God is the truth and this thing has to change. All right, does that make sense? All right, um, so yeah, let's go back over to Romans chapter four. All right, we're just going to look at a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 4. We, we looked last week uh, briefly at, at this verse, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. And it describes the situation that Abraham was in. Again, we talked about the fact that over in Colossians, it tells us, consider Abraham. Look at his faith. Look at his life. All right, so that's what we're doing. And in the Amplified, it says, for Abraham, human reason for hope being gone. All right, here's what he did. He hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So numberless, that's what the Lord said, so numberless shall your descendants be. All right, so we talked about the fact that this human reason for, for hope being gone. All right, all of us have experienced that probably. Human reason, natural reason for hope. There isn't any. Okay, for something that you're believing God for, something God has spoken to you, many times we stand in that position and we say, you know, God, I don't see any hope for this in the natural. But I will receive the hope that you provide by your word. Okay? Human, so what is 
a human reason for hope. First of all, and of course we've said this many times, hope that's based on favorable circumstances rather than the unchanging promise of God. All right, how do I know? When I'm, I'm working in what, what it calls here human reason for hope, I would call natural hope. One of the ways I know is because when circumstances look more favorable, my hope goes up. When, when circumstances look less favorable to the promise coming past, my hope goes down. That's a natural hope. That's not any condemnation to anyone. We have the capacity to, to live in, in natural hope. What we need to understand is there's a better hope than that. There's a more solid hope than that that's available to us. It's appointed for us and it's set before us and we need to grasp hold of it. Okay, so if every time something changes and it looks like, oh, this is going to get better, my hope rises, well, just recognize, don't beat yourself up, just recognize that's natural hope. And then take a step and grasp hold of what God is saying or what God has shown to be his promise and his uh, purpose for you in life, his will for you in life. Go a little farther and, t- and take hold of that and bring that in. All right. If if circumstances start to look worse and, and all of a sudden I'm discouraged, well, that's because I'm functioning in a natural hope. All of us are going to do this, but we just need to know we have something better to take hold of. And we need to take the step of taking hold of it. Okay. So if if I only hope when I can see a clear path every step of the way, and and many times we do this, that we hear God or, you know, we, we know that the Lord is leading us a certain direction. He has said something for our life. But until I can see every step of the way, I don't have hope. Well, that's a human hope. That's a natural hope. And for And depending on which side of the brain you function from, this might be easier or harder for you. Many of us, if you're, if you're on that more logical side, then you want to see how all of this can work out. Well, God doesn't show us that all the time. He just doesn't. There are a lot of things we're not going to know. Sometimes it looks hopeless until the day it doesn't. Looks hopeless. Isn't hopeless, but looks hopeless. And, and then all of a sudden it changes. All of a sudden, what we've been believing God for is there. And many times we don't see all the steps of that. But that's a, if we've got to see that before we can have hope, or we've got to see the promise in full manifestation, then, then we're not functioning in the hope that's available to us. That makes sense to you, okay? So also another part of human reason for hope, it, that would include hope that's based on our abilities, our talents, our skills, our education, well, we can do, well, I have hope that because, you know, you know why? Because God said this, well, I can make this happen. I have this position. I have this education. I have this. That's not biblical hope either. That's, that's hope in us, okay? That is a human reason for hope. Or uh, God has joined me to this other person. And so as long as that person stays on course, I'm good, all right? If I see that person wavering, I see, I see faults, Here's what happens. Let me back up a little. We'll see faults in ourselves. Okay, I hope we're honest about that. We all have faults. We'll see faults in ourselves and we'll become discouraged because of us. God knew it was you when he gave you whatever word that he gave to you. When he started to build that hope and that vision in your heart, he knew it was you. 
And yes, we are to grow along the way, but it's not going to not come to pass because of our fault. Abraham didn't do this perfectly. Abraham made a number of mistakes along the path to Isaac being born. Okay. God knows who you are. He knows who I am. That's no excuse for not growing and changing. But there's a place of confidence there that, well, Lord, you know, (laughs) sounds so dumb when we say it. This has got to be you. Well, yeah, that's what he wants. Okay. So, so there's hope in us there. And then there, sometimes there's hope in somebody else. We're thinking that, oh, this can come to pass because my husband, my wife, my boss, my friend, my co somebody has the ability to bring it to pass. And then if they start to waver, if they aren't, sometimes it's just they're not being everything we think they should be. Sometimes it's they really, their faults start to show up, you know, and we become discouraged. That's a human hope in a promise for God. We've got to get past that. We've got to understand that God is really good at bringing his promise to pass. All right. Again, find myself discouraged. You know, every time I look at my shortcomings or somebody else, I've got to remember, wait a minute. God is the God who gives life to the dead. If there's a dead place, God can give life to it. And he calls those things that are not as though they were. God is perfectly capable of breathing life into places that, that are dead right now, okay? So the way that Abraham overcame this, all right, is he put his faith, he hoped in faith, in God's ability to bring this to pass. Let's uh, go on to the next verse, verse 19. This is so important. You still with me? Romans chapter 4, verse 19 says, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old. I, I love how honest the Bible is. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's deadened womb. All right. The Greek here that our Bibles are translated from, when it says, when he considered, some of your translations say he considered not, okay? It doesn't mean he never considered his, the impotence of his body or Sarah's dead word. That's not what that phrase means. It's just the way it was written in the King James. He considered not. It actually, all your modern translations say when he considered. It means he didn't let what he considered make him waver. That's what it means. So all of these newer translations are good translations of that phrase. That word considered is actually an accounting term. And it means to add things up and come to one conclusion. It's, you know, uh, no matter what some of your kids are being taught, two plus two still does equal four, five plus five still does equal 10, okay? And so he looked at these natural facts And he came to the conclusion that, you know what? This is impossible. And it it is really graphic here in the the Greek language. It means Abraham, a hundred years old, looked down at his body and considered the impotence. Okay, and it means exactly what you think it means. He looked at himself and he says, you know what? That ain't working anymore. Okay, that's what he said. And he looked at Sarah at this point and he said, you know what? Her organs aren't working anymore either. This is impossible. And and that was true. In the natural, that was true. But what it says is, looking at that, 
knowing that impossibility in the natural, he did not weaken in faith. He didn't weaken in faith. His faith, that, that term there is like, like faith being eroded. His confidence in God was not eroded by getting up every day. 25 years we're talking about here. Getting up every day and saying, you know what? This still isn't working and she isn't working, okay? He recognized it. He took it into account, but he didn't weaken in faith. That's, that's amazing to me because that's usually what happens over time. Hope is often eroded in us over time. You know, if we allow those natural circumstances to look bigger to us than, than who God is and what he said, then that natural reality will slowly erode our faith. And that's why it's so important for us all along the way to keep our eyes on God, to keep turning them back to God. When you get discouraged, sometimes I think we feel like, I'm discouraged. God's not going to want to talk to me because I know I'm not supposed to be discouraged, but I am. And so that's kind of faithless. And so God's probably mad. And, you know, he probably wants to talk to somebody. We go through this whole thing. It's like, no, he wants us to come back to him and set our eyes on him. Colossians chapter three, uh, verses one through three talks about set your eyes on Jesus who's seated at the right hand of God. Set your eyes on heavenly realities. I think the New Living Translation says, set your eyes and set your heart and set your mind on heavenly realities and not the natural realities. That's something we have to do and we can. And it works. It's amazing what'll happen in your heart when you just decide, I don't care what it looks like. I believe God has said this. And I always go, Lord, if I missed you, because none of us are perfect, and he knows that, if I missed you, if this wasn't your plan, then show me that, because I want to get on what is your plan, all right? But if this is, and I believe you spoke to me, I'm asking you, Lord, speak it to me again. Speak it to my heart again. Release that faith into my heart again. Lord, I don't have to see it happening. I just need to know it's what you're saying. Does that make sense? I don't need to see it. Ha- I love when it's happening, that's really exciting and that's fine. But in order to keep going forward, I don't need to see it happening. I just need to know it's what you're saying. All right. And every one of us can do that, do the best that we absolutely can. But look at the, I love the fact that he considered, he looked, he didn't deny what was happening in the natural. He didn't pretend that his body was getting better. He didn't pretend that's something in the natural. And, and again, he didn't do this perfectly. Remember, he, he went to God and he said, oh, maybe you want to use Eliezer. You know, maybe you want to, uh, maybe, well, actually, Sarah came up with the great plan of him sleeping with her maid, her younger maid. And of course, they produced an Ishmael out of that. And we know that whole story. But, you know, there were times where Abraham, there were a lot of things Abraham did went to a certain place, lied about his wife, said it, and then his kid, Isaac, did it later, lied about his wife, said, she's my sister. I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of stories in there and you can, you can read them, but I'm just trying to say, I don't think any of us do this perfectly. We just need to keep coming back, knowing the principles and coming back to what the Lord has offered to us. He has ordained for us and he has set before us, but he didn't deny the natural. He recognized it 
but instead he, he just recognized a higher authority. He said, you know what? The promise is a higher authority than the fact that my body doesn't work. God can deal with the natural. I can't make that work, but God can. And I'm, I'm recognizing him and what he has said as a higher authority than what the natural circumstance is telling me. All right, let's wrap it up in these last couple of verses. So in verse 20, Romans chapter 20 and 21, so it goes on, it says, no unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly question concerning the promise of God. All right? No unbelief or distrust made him waver. Waver means just what you think it means. All right? One day I believe, one day I don't believe. None of that went on. And, and it doesn't say Abraham never felt unbelief or distrust. Doesn't say that. It says he didn't allow it to make him waver. All right. He did something to strengthen himself in the Lord so that when doubt would come, when distrust, when the questions would come into his mind, he didn't allow those questions to supersede what God had said. And it tells us here, it, it says what, it, what he did. It says, he grew strong, all right? So that's a process. He grew strong and was empowered by faith as, during the process of, as, when he made this decision, right? As he gave praise and glory to God. He was strengthened. He grew strong. He was not overcome by, by doubt and unbelief. He was not pulled aside from the promise. Why? When, as, he made a choice here. He gave praise and glory to God. That is, that is the whole key to Abraham standing through that 25 years and seeing what God had said to him come to pass. Is he chose in the face of impossibility to be a person who glorified God, who praised God who declared out of his own mouth that God is able. We all get to do this. And, you know, I, I've heard it said, and I think it's really a good point. Earth is the only place that we get to praise God in the face of terrible circumstances, in the face of everything looking like it's falling apart, in the face of loss of someone close to us, in the face of whatever. Earth is where we have the privilege of standing up in the midst of that and glorifying God, declaring who he is, declaring what he has said, declaring that he is unchanging, that I trust his promise above all things. We have the privilege of doing that in the face of terrible, terrible days and terrible circumstances. In heaven, we'll praise God. We'll praise God. We'll glorify God. But there won't be any negative circumstances. This is the only place that we get to make this choice. And I do believe this glorifies God. I don't believe God sends the tragedy into your life. I don't believe that stuff. But I do believe we're on earth. A lot of people say, well, why did this happen? Why? It's because we're on earth. We're not in heaven. This isn't heaven. If you have that confused, get it straight today. This is not heaven. This is earth. Okay? And so in this earth, we will have tribulation, Jesus said. 
but we can praise God for who he is and what he has done. And that's what Abraham did. He continued to give praise and glory to God. And, he, and then the, the verse kind of transitions, and it says, fully satisfied and assured. That's a description really of biblical faith. We come to, he came to a place. It doesn't say that his whole life he was fully satisfied and assured. And we can see that as we read about his life. But he came to a place of absolute assurance which is biblical faith, all right? He was assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and do what he had promised, all right? So as he chose to live that way, and the same thing works for us. Many of you have worked this in your life. It's something we can know and we can put to work when things look really negative. We can go back to what God said. We can go back to who he is. We, we take the time with him to be restored and refreshed. Maybe we catch hands with another believer that we know will stand with us and we pray together and we're able to begin to praise and glorify God to lift up his name above the circumstance. We all get to do this and we all need to do this, all right? So in doing that, he grew strong. There was a process where he looked, he was faced with the problem day after day, but day after day, he gave glory to God. And it's not only in what we say. I'm making it sound like it is in what we say and we need to be out loud about it, but it's in the way we live our life. It's in the, in the decisions we make that God and his word are greater, than the stuff I might be facing and the stuff that looks, looks negative. Does that make sense for you? Let me just, I'm going to read you a series of verses. We're done. But I want to read these verses to you. I pray that these will just soak into you. You can mark them down if you'd like to. I don't have any of them on your screen. But here are some things God says for you uh, that, that produce hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay, Jeremiah 29, 11. Micah 7, 7. I love this. I read it to you last week, I think. But as for me, there's a whole list of how terrible everything was before this verse. But as for me, here's my decision. I will look to the Lord and be confident in him. I will keep watch. I will wait with hope and expectancy for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Psalm 130, verse 5. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be ready to tell them why you have hope when others don't. All right? Don't have to be religious about it. Just share it. And finally, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, here's a, here's a room full of people and those online and those who, who will tune in later. God, I, uh, all of us are in different places. Some of it, we're facing the same things and different things. And you know how to sort all that out. 
But God, what we see from your word is that you are able, you are mighty to bring your word to pass. And so, Father, as your church, we refuse to allow our hearts to waver, to falter, to let go of the promise that you've made to us. Lord, what you've said about our families and our children, what you've said over our marriages, what you have said over our businesses, what you have said over our nation, Lord, what you have said over our extended family, God, over our society, over our community. Lord, I, I just, there's so many, I mean, it's endless. Lord, you have promises that apply to every area of life. And Lord, today we choose, we choose. We will not allow what we see to be bigger than what you have said. And we thank you for hope being appointed for us and set before us. And Lord, we choose to grasp it this morning and to walk out of this place with a greater hope than we walked in with. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of this today? All right. So as we're being dismissed this morning, uh, if you need prayer for anything, uh, I'd love to pray with you so you can come up and I'll be available for that. Uh, as you go out there, just encourage you. You're all invited to stay around and have some snacks and get to know some people and love on one another. Other people need what's in you, okay? All right, we're going to say it as we always do on the count of three. That's this many. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.